Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media Production. Brought to you by... Cool Car. Yes, I think it's a very appreci- appreciation, appreciation is really good, do you know what I mean? It's always better if somebody does have that appreciation than, than has no appreciation whatsoever or an interest. Yeah, digitization brings a different angle, doesn't it, in terms of uh, any any form of manufacturing, really. It's um, very different to, uh, to the, the old shop floor techniques. Now, we've got a very interesting question that's come in, which I'm, I'm going to throw at Kevin and Redmond to start with, and that's about SMEs wanting to robotize manual labor. Um, and the point that's being made is that these companies are often working with small batch production. So does robot programming take too much time to prepare for the next batch? Um, and uh, what, what your thoughts might be on that, and also how you would calculate the return on investment for um, a modern robotic welding solution. So Kevin, do you want to take that one to start? Okay, there's with? a few questions there, but I got I'll the SME one first. So we're, we'll look at uh, a product that KUKA has, it's called KUKA SIM. And to be able to import your existing cell uh, as a per exact size, you can actually um, put in the programming path offline and be able to use that as a, as a basis to change into your KRL program, which is a KUKA uh, um, robot programming language. And basically you can take that information that you've got, the tooling and everything else, translate that from a digital uh, uh, image that you see on your screen, and then have that as an output as your robot. So having smaller batch uh, products are, are very typical of, of today's age because a lot of um, uh, people want to, for example, weld small different batches, and we would use an offline programming for that. Uh, we also have uh, a really cool product that's called um, Ready to Pilot, and that, that is a, uh, a 60 switch. You can see in the back of my uh, head or the other side here. And you can see the gentleman's hand, he's moving that uh, to, to position. So all the different waypoints that you move the robot to, you can get your torch angle and everything else to the position that you need, uh, your start and stop welds, and basically give you the robot path that you require in order to achieve your end goal. Uh, really neat product and it works uh, very well. Um, that is uh, sort of like the KUKA, answer to cobots using industrial robots that last for multiple years, well, 10 and more years that we see in the industry today. When we have, uh, oh, sorry, the, the, the second no, part. No, carry on. Yeah, the second part of your question uh, with regards to um, uh, trying to, I guess, a- adapt uh, the, the skill sets and everything. I'm, I'm really think that the industry today uh, can see fast improvements um, using the technology uh, and with less with less of a manual skill set because it is quite different with the robots and it's easy to do test pieces and figure it out quickly 
So in terms of return on investment, what, what yep, for the return on the how do you make the business case? Yeah, it, it's different for everyone, but with the, the speeds that the welder is it, welding is going, and if you have some sort of a, a cell for arc, which KUKA has, where we can actually load on one side, have the robot welding on the opposite side. So the operator is taking care of the loading and unloading for a very basic cell. Um, we, we can see the returns happening quite quickly for some people. Um, uh, some, some operations we've seen them payback would be between six and one, uh, six months and one year, and then others are a little bit longer. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, we can see it up to, some can go up to nearly three years, but the reality of it is sometimes it could be, it could enable a company to win a contract that they otherwise exactly. just wouldn't be able to win because they don't have the capacity. So it's, then it's a very simple calculation. What's the margin on the contract and, and, and what's it earning my company versus the price of the, of the investment, you know? So, um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Neil and Robert, do you want to, to add anything to that? And then I'm going to move towards Alan for his official presentation. No, that's okay. It's all right with me. That's fine. Robert, you got anything to add on SMEs and return on investment, small batches? Uh, nothing in particular, just to sort of flag up. It is an interesting problem when you have these small batches and the programming challenges you have, particularly when if you're doing small batches infrequently, you know, people can sort of, again, like welding, it's a skill set you have to keep using. So it's always worth noting that make sure you have using you're using rubber cell to capacity so i mean so you don't have a bar to sell and have it not been used for periods of time it's quite a useful thing to be sure you've, you plan ahead that you've got you know quite a scope of work to be done on it it's it's a Thank different you. skill set to weld, manual welding but it's still a skill set that needs maintaining to some degree yeah yeah okay alan uh your your subject is on something we're touching on already really with digital approaches to innovative welding processes and how that impinges on quality and planned maintenance. Where up once again. Uh, uh, yes, thanks everybody. Uh, yeah, the two kind of um, go together with, uh, you know, the development of, of um, processes, the, you know, you know both you know, MIGMAG and TIG processes are kind of uh, most commonly known also plasma welding that we, uh, use a lot in um, additive, additive manufacturing, et cetera, and, and robotics. Uh, and with digitalization and digital recording and quality control, they kind of go together in that, um, you know, the way that MIGMAG processes are being refined and developed to um, enable an operator to uh, select from the machine, you know the, the the way that he wants it to perform, uh, and you see the little the little video going on behind me there, where uh, controls that are done by you know intelligence in the machine to to compensate uh, both in manual welding and in uh, mechanized and automatic is that ensuring we get continued quality. This process behind us is called wired wired arc. I've just popped the link up earlier where anybody can can view the processes and it's it's how it's been developed in that uh, from a manual perspective you'll see there's a, a welding torch behind me where the operators um, varying the, the the distance from the nozzle to workpiece is altering and in this process now which is the wired arc you'll see that as that changes the process of the machine senses that 
uh, increases the wire feed speed in order that penetration is constant across the whole length of the seam in order that you've maintained the quality despite despite fluctuations from what could be the hand or even in you know even in a, in a machine having a, a bump or something like that in a, in a mechanized system uh, it's compensated by the machine so we're maintaining that quality throughout and when we look at um, digital digital solutions now what what was in in the past uh, done by um, you know it would be a, a, a welding technician a welding engineer having to monitor and, and go to each each um, welding station, be it be it a, a robot, be it a, a turntable and a column and boom, or be it a manual welder in the corner there, to record and ensure that um, each uh, seam has been deposited with the correct parameters according to a, a weld procedure that's been specified. And, and now, you know, with with um, the technology available now, it's it's all recordable. In the software and and you have traceability for every every weld seam on every application can be traced back to the operator who's the operator is then um you know qualified to do that job we can actually now limit access to to certain programs or processes within a machine if the operator doesn't have the qualification then you know he wouldn't be able to access that that kind that program within the machine unless he has the the um uh being given the access by by the engineer etc so it all it all leads back to us to have ensuring the quality is there can be controlled with the correct input of course by the operator the welder uh, be it the robot operator or the welder and it's all traceable to say that um the the job produced uh is is in accordance with the expectation it's all linked to uh industry 4.0 or welding 4.0 which is our slant on it which is the you know integration of the the operator the software and the hardware in order to produce um the uh you know the, the, the results that we that we need you know and, and it's all taken into account that you know perhaps you haven't got you know within a workshop you might not have the 20 highly skilled welders that you need but you may have uh, one who runs a department who would who would be programming a number of power sources that can be done uh, and then th these parameters taken from machine to machine by through the software uh, and then every machine is set up in the correct way to to give the correct result and limiting limiting the um, the margin for error within the uh, within the given wire feed speed voltage for each for each application or for each seam in order that we know that uh, providing that welding torch is presented to the workpiece at the correct angle, etc. Or you know, again, be it by hand or be it by a robot, that the result would be correct because the machine is going to be giving the the voltage, the wire feed speed, and current that's that's been designated to give the the quality required by the the client or the contract or the the specification that we're working to. And we can go back and and trace all that with this uh, our the XNet. Uh, software um which i'll pop a link up about later on if anybody wants to see it a little further but where it all comes back to is you know one of the the main things that we already touched on is uh the importance of, of encouraging people into the industry and uh that's that's done by you know various means and and one of the key things that we've had a lot of success with is augmented reality 
you know, something we can take into a school or college without anybody getting dirty, without any um, safety factor to consider. It's showing them a screen that can be on a laptop or on, on the actual um, machine itself and on virtual work pieces, as we're seeing behind me now. And it really can get the interest at a, at a, at a younger age and at a good stage. And it's, uh, we, we, we find that whenever we present this at exhibitions or open events, that it, it always brings people to our stand and we can, we can start talking about welding as a career. And it's, I think this is the way way forward to at least get some, some kind of industry. And it's this kind of, this kind of technology around for, for a long time, but now at this day and age, this is, this is the actual, the absolute cutting edge, cutting edge of it. And it is so, you know, from a, um, a wellness point of view, it is so true to life that, you, you know, you really need to see it to, uh, to believe it. And this is where we can encourage people into this, into our industry. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Cool Car. How is, um, how is digitalization helping with maintenance of robotic systems? Yeah, well, we, we, it's, it's one of the big advantages is that you can, you, can, uh, you can plan and be prepared for any, you know, downtime can be timed, except when, you know, the life of, of um, contact tip, for example, uh, it all can be pre-programmed into production runs, et cetera, because software, uh, our system our um, software system can tell us when when we should be changing or if, if a contact tip's been in use for for six hours it needs to be you know we, we, we you time things in changes of shifts etc or when machines need to be uh have coolant changed etc and it's all all can be planned and, and warnings into the the software warnings from the welding power source it, it, it often saves potential for error uh, when you don't want, for example, if you're uh, producing a component with additive manufacturing, you don't want the wire to run out when you're uh, halfway through uh, something that we're producing for entertaining for the aerospace industry. We want to be able to to ensure that we know exactly how much wire is used, and all this is, is calculatable. It can also uh, control the costs. Where we've done, you know, similar. Um, Products can be produced using the, the amount of wire, the amount of gas, et cetera, and all that is recordable and can be um, factored in to any, any calculations that we need. Yeah, so better data leads to um, better productivity and uh, yeah, using yeah. it that way. Yeah, yeah. great. Okay, uh, we're getting quite a few technical questions coming in, and I noticed some of the panellists are actually answering them in the chat, which is great. Um, there are quite a few that, that we do need to approach, which we'll deal with, I think, towards the end. But being conscious of time, I want to make sure that uh, all the speakers get their opportunity to talk. So I'm going to move on and acknowledge what we've got in the chat and come back to it a little bit later. So, so Neil, if I, can, if I can turn to you and tell us um, about the 1.3D system. Okay. Um... Okay, so from a company point of view, obviously we're interested in additive manufacture and we completely appreciate that people have got to explore the business case um, that we would want to build apart um, before anybody would be interested in accepting it. Um, and then we, we're system integrators. We look to provide the system um, as well as providing training. Um, we've worked with loads of people. We've worked with kind of space 
um, oil and gas, um, aerospace, mining industries, um, research institutes, as well as um, Caterpillar or Catapult type centers. Um, from a company point of view, we supply systems as hardware. We also supply the software. So what we've been talking about in terms of digitization, um, we want to be able to produce um, a tool path with parameters from a 3D model. Um, obviously, what we'd like to be able to do is provide the best parameters possible for a 3D print. We can't cover every base, every material, every geometry, but we do our best. Um, we have simulation software to simulate the path, um, and then we monitor um, every second of welding. Um, this is the machine. This was the, the vision of the machine as, as, a, as a kind of design concept. Um, we've built a number of the internals now, a number of times, and we have end effectors, which I know is also a topic um, for today's panel on the end of the robot arm um, for deposition, for shielding, for temperature measurement, um, shape measurement. This was the vision of the machine from our industrial designers. Um, and this is now the reality. We finally got to the point um, where we've realized this on the shop floor. So this is the industrial vision. And this is the reality that we've got outside now. Um, we're putting together our, um, we've done a number of the internals a number of times. Um, well, this is the first system with the full um, industrial machine enclosure. We um, supply monitoring so that while you're printing, while you're depositing, whilst you're welding, uh, we're monitoring. So we're monitoring all the key variables, voltage, current, um, wire feed speed, travel speed, gas flows, environmental parameters, such as temperature and oxygen level, so that you have a repeat build. Um, yep, so, so again, this is the actual uh, machine that's outside now. There's a massive range of complexity of parts that people may want to build. There are very topolog topologically um, optimized parts, as well as more straightforward builds. And the application of wire and arc additive manufacturing to those geometries really depends upon the shape, the material, the size, the complexity. Um, so we always kind of get involved with the customer to explore that. Um, this is um, plain cylindrical or axisymmetric type component for space application made from titanium, six aluminium, four vanadium, um, classic um, high strength, um, high corrosion resistance, lightweight, um, extremely strong um, titanium alloy. Um, another part, which is um, a leading part for the Typhoon Eurofighter. Um, this is more of a historical part, a landing gear rib. Um, within wire and arc additive manufacturing, the challenge is, is not so much kind of robot welding in terms of just depositing, but learning how to manage variable geometries, um, learning how to uh, manage intersections. Um, so we've done a number of those complex parts, um, which are particularly maybe for high value industries um, where they would have had to machine that out solid um, for the original component, which is obviously very costly. Um, for some people though, it can be um, a part which is um, perhaps reducing inventory. So it's, it may be not the high value part as opposed to the fact that you don't have to stock thousands of them for the emergency scenario. Um, weird and wonderful sizes and shapes that we've got involved with impellers, turbine blades, uh, mining heads. So yeah, so for, so I, I just wanted to kind of show you um, 
that as, as a company, we're kind of uh, and looking to enable and realize additive manufacturing using, obviously, we partner with KUKA. We're platinum um, partnership with KUKA. We use KUKA robots um, for all our positional controls. And we use, um, there's a monitoring platform called um, KUKA RSI, which enables us to gather all the information from the monitored part um, and store it. So there's a digital file, which is an as-built file of the actual component. We use EWM power sources for plasma and for MIG um, in an automated setting so that we are controlling all the parameters on the EWM power source as we're depositing, varying the parameters as well as monitoring parameters as we go. So, I mean, do you know I mean, critical partnerships from our point of view. It looks as though that you're bit, very much... That was a bit Sorry, swift. That was a bit swift. But I, obviously, I, I don't want to kind of overreg it with a shared presentation as opposed to just sure. show you the scope. Sure. And and anybody on the call can get in touch with any of our speakers yeah. uh, later on. We'll, we'll facilitate that in a number of ways, which I'll go through at the end. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it appears to be quite an exotic process in the sense that you're looking at highly specialised parts with uh, aerospace. Not, or, like, yeah, not, am I getting the wrong impression? No, well, it started, it started off like that many, many years ago. The, the business drivers were for the high value um, components, um, with machine that are solid, titanium, aerospace and space. But obviously, within the last few years, um, there's been a bit of a change, really in terms of, of kind of money or business drivers within the aerospace industry in particular. Um, and of more recent times, we've got just as involved with oil and gas um, and mining industries um, for large steel components or inconel components. Doesn't have to be the, the exotic materials at all. Because obviously what we're looking to do is increase the deposition rate to make it really cost effective. What what well, range Alan, of materials? Alan knows, Alan knows all about Okay, well we'll we'll, we'll pull him in as well. Um, um, what um what range of materials have you got available? Um, we're a relatively young company. We've only been going like two years, um, but we partnered with Cranfield University. Um, I I mean I'm so old. Um, I did my doctorate at um, Cranfield in the uh, in the nineteen nineties. Um. And then I left and joined industry about the year 2000. Um, but in 2006, the welding group at the university um, effectively started researching WAM in a really serious way. And they've been going for 16 years. So although as a company, we've worked with uh, titanium, steel, inconel, um, off the top of my head. Um, that's off the top of my head, sorry. Um, but I mean, the universities work with all sorts. The universities work with aluminium, nickel, aluminium, bronzes, um, invar, uh, inconels, wasp alloys. Do you know what I mean? All the exotics. Yeah. And what's the sort of like the largest batch of, um, of uh, components that you would manufacture? I mean, are they very small numbers or, or yeah 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 because a lot of people are coming to us to prove out a pro to prove out the prototype they don't want to buy a system unless they know the system can build their part so for us it's about proving the system proving the process and proving the mechanical properties of the component they're not necessarily looking to us to qualify the component as opposed to prove that it can be built cost effectively with WAP. so we have to do a life cycle analysis to make sure that what is being proposed is a 
is a good enough replacement for a conventional fabrication or forging um, or casting. Thank you. Um, Kevin, from, from the robot suppliers' point of view, what, what do you have to offer for this type of process? Oh, we've got a nice range of robots. Uh, anything from uh, six kilograms up to uh, uh, average, we even use some of our 120 kilogram robots for some of these processes just because of reach. Um, uh, and because the end effectors sometimes for the WAM processes get quite uh, involved with different types of sensors, uh, torch modifications, brackets. So they're, they're more than 20 kilograms sometimes for the, for the heads. However, that being said, um, the, the accuracy is what's key for a lot of this. And not only are the, are the robots accurate, but we've got software accuracy as well that helps with the positional and um, uh, robot when it's moving around. It really helps when you have the WAM uh, software involved in that, that they can maintain uh, a high level of process. Because people come from the 3D printing backgrounds, they see little plastic parts that are made. And then now we're using molten metal uh, as a process now that is uh, a little bit less accurate in some ways than the fine-tuned fine uh, um, uh, plastic parts. However, that being said, we can do much more now uh, than we could back in 216, I would say. Neil could justify that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Cool Car. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.